Was, the energy level is dropping. Thanks, Archie. Well, we're going to continue in our service from glow sticks to lighting the candle. See what we did there? Uh, we're going to continue in our Advent series, and so we're going to light the next candle before Ryan comes up this morning. So uh, I love glow sticks for church, representing the light of the world. Such a sweet time, and we're going to do that now. So this is 1 John 4, 9 for us this morning. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only, his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we are loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. As I light this candle, it represents love. We remember God's promise to Israel of a Messiah who would come and demonstrate God's complete and ultimate love. And rejoice that God has given us the gift of his son perfect love found in Jesus. So would you pray with me this morning? God, as we turn our attentions to you with glow sticks in hand, thankful for our kids and what you're doing in our community, we're, we're reminded of the goodness of this season. We're reminded of the love that you went to demonstrate for us, that you would give of yourself so freely and so completely so that we could have life and be found in you. So we celebrate your love that you have for each person that extends beyond one people group or one time, but to all people for all time. And so we pray now that you teach us through your word, you'd shape us as a community and individuals to live out your love on display for the community around us in the places that we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, that's a good start to the morning, is not it? I love that. And uh, it, uh, it's hard to follow up when you have to preach after you got to watch a bunch of cute kids up here. So uh, if, if things start going bad with the sermon, just pull up your you know, glow sticks and we'll, go, we'll burst into song. So it's great to be with you here. Um, my wife was going to join me for part of this morning. She's not feeling well, so was not able to, but I wanted to let you know what we wanted to tell you about is just with CRC. She works uh, for the Community Resource Center and we... Uh, wanted to give an update on the gifts that you give. Uh, we were able to support, I told you last week, I think if you were here, uh, 115 families with the adoptive family boxes, including in that there was uh, the 10 families who are part of their domestic violence uh, shelter. And uh, she wanted to share some of the stories of, because sometimes we only see this side of it, like, oh, we did something fun, something good. And she wanted to share the actual stories of how it impacted people. So here's the plug. We're going to record it, and you, next week, it'll be on next Sunday, uh, a couple of announcements for you is next Sunday, the 26th, is online only. So we're doing a Christmas at-home package where you can watch it with the family um, on the 26th, and part of that will give you the update on what your gifts did. There'll be a short message and music, and it, it's intended to be an at-home Christmas service on the 26th, so a week from today. And, but the 24th, we are in person this year, the 24th, happens to be Christmas Eve. So, and, so we will uh, be celebrating Christmas Eve, and we're doing things a little different. We did it this way last year, and we kind of felt like, as a philosophy, we wanted to make a change. Instead of trying to go, you know, more and more and more services and, and making it bigger and bigger, we said, what if we did one service? We're outdoors. We want to worship together as one family. We have plenty of room for everyone. Uh, so at 430 uh, it will be a candlelight service. We're outdoors. Bring a chair or a blanket uh, or whatever to make you comfortable. Uh, hopefully, you know, it'll be San Diego cold. 
So it'll probably be, you know, somewhere in the 50s. So bundle up, and uh, but we will be worshiping together. I loved last year the picture that happened of all the church, one service. We started having neighbors come out and participate and listen, and, and uh, people driving by on the freeway see hundreds of people holding up their candles during a candlelight portion as just a testimony of the light of Jesus. So one service, 4.30 on Christmas Eve. Uh, we invite you to come out for that. And then next Sunday is online only, but it will be designed for you to watch as a family or by yourself or however you like to worship. Okay, so those are the things coming up this week. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of. Uh, pray, I know we already prayed, but would you pray again with me as we start this message? God, we thank you again for today. I thank you for the joy of seeing kids singing and dancing and I can't help but to think that on that first Christmas morning where most of the world was confused, the angels in heaven were singing and dancing and rejoicing because the long-awaited fulfillment of so many scriptures was taking place. That, Lord, you determined it was time to enter into our story as one of us. And so, God, we thank you for that morning. We thank you that it still makes a difference to this day, and we see it in the life of our young ones. And so, God, would you open our hearts this morning to your presence, to the reality of your story, and though it's still mysterious and sometimes hard to believe, it's so simple of how you entered in to be in a way that was accessible for all. So we thank you, God, and we give you this time now and, and pray that you change and shape us. In your name, amen. So Christmas is, is the time of year when everyone's kind of thinking about love and kindness. If you look at all the movies uh, we, we've talked about often, they, all the movies kind of have this element of love or doing something for others. That's like the, the standard Christmas movie. Um, even I, I can't even think of a Christmas movie where there's not some element of, of love as a part of it. You know, even uh, if you look at Jim Carrey's The Grinch, you know, there's this love, you know, he falls in love at the end and the other uh, good Christmas movies like Die Hard, you know, there's, his, there's this love between he and his wife, and they're kind of having reconciliation, and, and, and so most Christmas movies, there is this, this lo love is obviously this huge theme, and kindness, and it's the time of year when we think about love, and we think about others, and wanting to do things for those that we love, and I have to confess, I want to confess to you that I, I kind of, I can tend to go over the top for Christmas, because I just think it's fun. And, and I look at my kids, and I love my kids, uh, and, and there are times when I think I probably go a little over the top with gifts and, and events and things like that, and, and I admit it, but I just like it. I think it's a blast to do, and, and during Christmas, I know a lot of us, when you think of those that you love and you want to spend time with those you love, it, it's just, that's an obvious theme that comes up. And today we're going to look at is, is why is that theme? Why is the Christmas story, why does it to this day still inspire us to love others? And sometimes if you think of our gifts or the things we do to show love for others, sometimes they don't go that well, though. Have you ever noticed that? I remember years ago when my two oldest boys were about eight years old and six years old. We were living in Orange County, and uh, Knott's Berry Farm was doing this deal where you could buy a one-day ticket to Knott's Berry Farm, and then you got a season pass for the whole year. So I thought, oh, this would be really cool. 
it, it wasn't Disneyland. We couldn't quite afford that. But we said, okay, Knott's Berry Farm. We'll get a season tickets for the year. And I love roller coasters. I think they're a blast. They're a ton of fun. And so I thought, my boys, I have boys. They're going to love it. We're going to go ride roller coasters. But I forgot something. I forgot when I was eight years old and six years old. I remember when I was that young, we, we went to a place, I was in Minnesota at the time, I went to this place called Valley Fair, which is basically Six Flags for Minnesota, and I remember that roller coaster that went through the park that went upside down, and when you're eight years old and you see that, you just say like, I bet everyone who goes on that dies. There's, there's no way I'm going on that, because I'm eight, and that's too fast, too big, too upside down, not going to happen. So fast forward now, I'm a father of an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and I forgot that that is how eight-year-olds and six-year-olds think, that roller coasters kill you. So I thought, instead, I thought, like a 30-something who is like, oh, this will be awesome, Knott's Berry Farm, big roller coasters. So we drive there, come around the corner, and it was a surprise trip. We came around the corner, and all you see if in, in their, I can imagine their little kid eyes, this, this, these giant death traps, like taking up the whole horizon. And we pull into the parking lot and say, for Christmas this year, hey, we have season passes to this place all year. It's the gift that keeps on giving all through the year. So we, we get out, and one of my sons looked at it and said, no way. And the other one's like, I got you, bro. We're going to be okay. So I thought, oh, cool. Family bonding. The brothers are supporting each other. This is going to go so well. And so we got in, we finally got our season passes, it was kind of a busy day, and the first roller coaster kind of that you see when you come through the entrance is Ghost Rider. And if you've ever been to Knott's Berry Farm, Ghost Rider is this giant wooden roller coaster, and if you know anything about wooden roller coasters, even the best designed wooden roller coaster and the smoothest wooden roller coaster still is going to dislocate some of your body when you go on it. They're just crazy. I don't know why they, we still do wooden work. So, but we get on it, and you can only go two to a seat. So they went in front of me, and I sat behind them, and we start, you know how roller coasters start? You start going up, and it's And I'm thinking, this is going to be so cool. And I look at my boys, and they're starting to realize that this keeps going up. And we still are going up, and they're no longer seeming like they're going to have as much fun as me on this day, and I'm starting to think about halfway up, this might not be the best first ride of the day. <laughs> and you get to the top where it goes, ch -ch -ch -ch. you know that point? And then a little voice goes, you're about to die. <laughs> and you get to the top, and you have that moment where there's nothing, and then you go. And we go over, and we start going down, and it's the biggest drop in all Notch Berry Farm. We're heading down, and you know, my shoe, I'm in lo loving it. My shoes are like tickling the back of my head. We're going down so fast, and I look, and my boys both have their hands on the car in front of them, and I think they're denting it because they're holding on, and they're not having fun. <laughs> I just kind of glanced, and I saw this look of terror on both of their eyes, like, Dad wanted to get rid of us. He likes our little brother the best. Oh, no. So we're going, and once you're going, I just thought, oh, this will be an enjoyable two minutes <laughs> as we're going around super fast, and I'm partly enjoying it and partly thinking, what have I done to my kids? And, the, and I kept telling them, like, it's going to be okay. You guys will be fine. And finally, we get off, and we made it to the end. We get off, and they kind of step out, shell shock. We walk away, and they're like, 
okay, can we go home now? <laughs> and I'm a loving, understanding, gracious father. I understand their mental health and well-being. So they said, Dad, we want to go home. And, I, and it was, you know, after the first ride. And I just said, we can't go home. We just got here. And I paid for parking. <laughs> We're going to enjoy this day. <laughs> so we went on the uh, merry ground the rest of the day. And then it was fine. <laughs> We had to figure out how to make it work. But that was one of those gifts that you give trying to th- show love and say, this is going to be so amazing. That kind of was a fail. Now, if I did that now, it would be much better. So their counseling worked out, and they're now back and, and, and uh, <laughs> ready to enjoy roller coasters. But sometimes when we try to give a gift or we try to love, it feels like a failure. And I can't help but to think of how some might have seen this Christmas story, the first story. That God in his love for humanity says, I'm going to enter in and I'm going to live as a human. I'm going to actually be born as a baby. And he starts off in the most humble of circumstances in a small town called Bethlehem, not in the temple, not in Jerusalem. And he starts off there and you would think some would think, "Ah, I don't know if this is going to work. He's born to a, a humble family and to a virgin woman, and they're thinking, no, this, this is a fail. And then he starts living his life, and he starts welcoming in the outcast and those who were rejected by the religious ones. He accepted them, and he was spending time with them, and even the priests and the rabbis all looked at him and thought, he's not one of us, and you can't help but to think somewhere thinking, this whole thing is a fail. This gift that God's trying to give to us is just not working out. And then we get to what we know as the crucifixion on Easter. And and Jesus then has been teaching these great things. And then he's crucified and laid into a grave. And you would just think, oh, God's plan failed. Of course, we have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. And we believe in the resurrection that happens to confirm his story. His, his teaching, it confirmed who he was, and, and we look back now and we say, okay, it, it, we start connecting the dots and see how it fulfills all these prophecies, and we start to say, okay, God was, this now makes tons of sense. The one thing, the ultimate act of love was God's coming to, uh, with God coming to us in the form of Jesus, and that love was not a fail. And today what I want to do is encourage us with God's love to remind you that his love for you did not fail. And the goal is that we walk out here today convinced of this love and allowing that to transform who we are. So I want to invite you to look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, maybe you think, oh wait, how is this, aren't we doing a Christmas message today? What's 1 John? It's almost in the very back of your Bibles. If you get to the book of Revelation, you're too far, it's just right before that. It's a small little letter, it's called 1 John, not regular John, it's 1 John. And in chapter 4, verse 7, John is writing and he says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. Oh, that's a good Christmas message, right? Here it is. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The very nature of God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I want to stop there for a moment. 
Notice this. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. So God is love. It's his very essence. It's his nature. And how did he show his love? He sent his only one, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That's kind of an interesting phrasing. And, and we'll get to the other part of that. It's he sent his son that we may be forgiven for our sins. But he starts with this, that we might live through him. That God's love in sending Jesus does something to our lives. It's not just rescuing us and saving us for eternity. It's not just, hey, you're bad people. Now you can be forgiven. And one day you'll die and be in heaven. And that works out. But he said, no, no, no. Today, you might live through him. You may experience life. And what we see here is God's love brings a new depth to life. The story of Christmas and God sending his son Jesus is actually to give us a depth of life that we're lacking, that we're missing without him. And we have to go all the way back to the beginning to know how story of humanity starts according to scriptures. It says as God creates humans and in Genesis chapter 2, there's kind of a poetic narrative of how he does it, and he says he forms man from the dust of the ground, and God breathes into him the breath of life, and right after that, it says, then mankind became a living being, using this Hebrew word called nephesh, nephesh. It's the word we have for spirit, and it means you're alive in your spirit. So God breathes something into us and our spirit becomes alive and that is what made us whole. That's what made us different than every living organism. That we weren't just alive physically, but our spirits were alive. There was something else there. Now the very next chapter of our Bibles, in Genesis chapter three, sin enters in. And when sin enters in, now we're separated from God. And now we no longer have this direct access to God. And there's something changes in who we are. Our spirits now experience not just, we, we experience not just physical death, but now we experience spiritual death, separation from our creator. We're no longer experiencing life as we were intended to experience it. That's the narrative through scripture. Now, for those of you maybe who already believe in Jesus and are walking with him, or you know others who do, how many of those stories, or does your story have a time before you were in Christ where you would say, I I just sensed that something was missing. It just felt like there was something in my life, and it might not be that your life was terrible. It might not be that you, you, you know, that you were a terrible person, but you just knew something inside wasn't quite right. It's interesting that in the 1700s, actually 1600s, there was a French philosopher named Blaise Pascal, and he was actually talking about this 400 years ago. He was talking about how mankind is searching and longing for something that will fulfill us, longing to feel whole because we all kind of sense that there's something missing. And if you look in every culture throughout history, we've always tried to make sense of this world as if there must be something more out there. And we see this here. Blaise Pascal says this, all the way back in the 1600s. He says, as we're craving for things in life, he says, what does this What else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim, but that there once in man was a true happiness? See, the very exists that we're craving and longing for something shows that we're missing something that was at the core of how we're created. 
And now all that remains is an empty print and trace of that thing. And then Pascal goes on and says, This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there and the help that he cannot find in those that are, though nothing can help. Since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. So we created to have the Spirit of God breathe into us to experience life, and that's been separated without Christ. This actually quote here by Pascal is where we get this common thought, and maybe you've heard it before, is we're created with a God-shaped hole in our heart. Many people attribute that to this, or even Paul writes in Acts 17, verse 27, that God has created us in a way that we seek him out, that we find him and realize that without him we're missing something. So what we see is that we may truly live because when God sends Jesus, he says that he can live through us. See, this is the foundation of our belief, of our faith, is it's not just that we're saved from something, but we're saved for something. And that now the spirit of Jesus lives and dwells in us. You know what that means? That you will never be closer to God than you are now, and you will never be further away from him than you are now if you are in Christ. Meaning, if you are in Christ, you will never be more forgiven than you are today. And that's a good thing. Some of you say, I will never be more forgiven. That means because you're fully forgiven. You're fully in him now. And his presence is in you, and that gives you true life. Gives you the ability to live with a bigger understanding. This is God's love, said, I want you to have life for today, not just eternity. And Jesus, his life in us, gives us that ability. Let's look back at 1 John chapter 4. What else does his love do? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, this is love. Not that we loved God but that God loved us and sent his son as an intoning sacrifice for our sin. Okay, there's the one that maybe some of us are familiar with. But notice this. Love isn't that we loved God and so he did something nice for us. Love isn't that we somehow made ourselves acceptable to God and so he said, okay, these humans are really great people. Look at how great they are. I'm gonna do something wonderful for them because I should return this love. No, it's because God loved first. He sent his son. Now get this, as an atoning sacrifice. Some of your translations might have this really churchy word, propitiation. Isn't that a great word? I want to challenge you at your Christmas neighborhood party this, you know, this season. Try to work in propitiation in one of your conversations with people. <laughs> what a... It, I like the translation of an atoning sacrifice a little better because we can understand it. But an atoning sacrifice. And you know what atone means? Atone essentially to make amends. And so God, because of his love for you and for me, wants to, us to make an amends. Sin entered in, and we were at war with God. He says, through Jesus, we now may have peace with God. Because of his great love, he said, I want to be at peace with you. How many of you are in here this morning and you say, I do not feel at peace with God? And maybe it's because of decisions you made. Maybe it's because things that have happened to you. And you say, how can God, 
how can I love this God because my life has been so tough or so hard and things have happened that I don't understand and, and maybe it's decisions you've made and you say, how can I have peace with God? But the Christmas story, the love of God promises that the one thing he wants for you is that you may know you're fully loved and that you may experience the peace that comes from knowing that nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and that he'll never leave you or forsake you. You may now have peace with God. See, if we truly grasp this, it really changes how we view life. If we truly grasp that we have the love of God and we're fully loved by him and fully can have peace with him, it changes the way we interact with others. We have nothing to prove anymore. We have nothing to earn, nothing to gain. Someone in our teaching team when we were studying this was looking at this and said, they said, I love how God redefines love for us. To actually experience love, it actually casts out fear. Questions about who, are we on the same page with someone or are we going to be accepted? Will they ever leave us? All of these things go away. Perfect love casts out fear. And when we think of we're perfectly loved by God, we can now live freely. No fear that he may withdraw his love. And it changes how we love others. And by the way, love, research has shown that love actually has benefit in our lives. Research has shown that love will lower your stress levels. You have a healthier heart. And there's actually one study, and a very extensive study, that showed that people had major heart surgery. Those who uh, felt like they were in a loving relationship uh, were two and a half times more likely to live uh, for another 15 years after that surgery. And those that were in a loving marriage, long-term marriage, were three times more likely to live after that surgery. And so we know that love even has this benefit. It does something to us. That's what I love in the Christmas story. I shouldn't use that. I like in the Christmas story how this is just so central is God's love for us. Now, I want to show you another part of the Christmas story, though. Look what happens when you don't have a sense of your love. In Matthew chapter 2, there's this part of the story that often we don't put in the manger scenes. It doesn't show up in very many movies. And this is a part when these magi from the east, they show up, they see a star, they were astrologers, and somehow God revealed to them that his Messiah would be born. So they travel to Israel, and they go to this guy named King Herod, because if you were going to go and pay homage to a new king that was born, you'd go to the current king. So these wise men go, uh, we call them the wise men, the magi, go to the king, king Herod and say, hey, we saw this star, we know that there's a new king who's been born. We came to worship him. Do you know who it is? The problem is Herod did not know who it was, and he was the king, and Herod was known to even kill his own children if he thought they were going to take over the throne. So imagine now when Herod hears the story from some foreigners who read the stars, who everyone trusted they could somehow read the stars in heaven, and all of a sudden they come and say, we came to worship. There's a new king who's been born, and you're the king. How do you feel? Herod quickly tells them, oh, well, go find him and come back and tell me where he is. And the Magi got, figured it out and said, wait, Herod's not going to worship this king. And so they leave. And look at this in the, the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time that he'd learned from the Magi. 
That's why what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel was weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So this prophecy is being fulfilled. Herod, out of his hatred, actually goes and kills these kids. So what a contrast in the story of God sending his son to bring life and Herod in his insecurity and in his own desire to fight for himself. And Herod was known as, he, he was always trying to please Caesar and please everyone else and nobody actually liked him, but he was living, he was the definition of someone who needed to be loved. Or in the words in the movie Hook, someone who needed a mommy very, very badly. Anyone? No? Just me? Move on. Early on in my marriage with uh, Sarah, we realized that we loved each other, but it was really important piece of our conflict resolution was understanding our love for each other. Because we realized kind of early on in marriage that sometimes in marriage there are conflicts. Sometimes. It's because my wife's not perfect, so sometimes we get in fights. <laughs> Hi, she's at home watching this. I'll talk to you later today. (laughs) So in marriage, sometimes there's conflict. It's, It's a part of life. In all relationships, there can be conflict. We realized early on that the key to our success in the conflicts would be knowing that even when it felt like a really bad one, that we loved each other and would forgive each other no matter what. And we actually had to remind each other, like, hey, even if we have this a bad fight, I love you, I care for you, I'm not going anywhere. It's going to be okay, even though you're wrong, but it's going to be okay. And just that assurance that even in the midst of a fight, that, okay, it feels bad, but it's going to be okay, we're still loved and no one's going anywhere, changes something. That understanding when you are truly loved, it just changes your perspective. And friends, I want you to know this morning that there's a God in heaven who truly loves you. And his love is so unbreakable that nothing you can do or say or doubt or feel will ever take that away. And I want you to leave here this morning with one thing that's assured, that God is crazy in love with you. And he wants that relationship with you. And if we grasp that, it does something to how we live. I want to show you how it changes as we end our time. In 1 John chapter 4, continue on now in verse 11. He keeps writing, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Us. So in other words, what he's saying, once we grasp the depth of God's love for us, once we grasp that nothing will ever separate us from him, once we grasp just how amazing that love is, that now we are set free to do the same and love one another. Not just during Christmas either. To love one another even during election seasons. To love one another even when our governor comes up with new rules for us. Even to love the people making the rules and the people who have different interpretations of the rules. And it might be some people in your own house who think about things differently. And we are now free to love 
in a way that breaks through those barriers. Love people from a different culture. Love people from different languages. Love people who vote differently, who live differently. We're set free. Nothing to prove, nothing to fear. We have all we need in Christ. There's this great story that took place during World War I, so over 100 years ago now. And at the beginning of the war, they came upon Christmas time. And this story is kind of known as the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day truce. And the way they fought World War I is it was just trench warfare where they dig in these trenches, sometimes only 30 meters apart from each other. And each side would, would dig in and, and, and were fighting against each other. And on Christmas Eve in, two, in uh, 1914, there's multiple stories of different sections of the trenches that it broke out in most areas where all of a sudden, on Christmas Eve night, one side would be singing a Christmas carol in their language, and the other side heard it and joined in. In fact, in a lot of these sections, people, they got out of the trenches and in some cases exchanged gifts with one another. And in one case, one of the sections, they got out and on Christmas Day, they actually played football, not, not real football, but the European football, which is, you know, where you only use your feet. So they, they played football <laughs> against each other. They enjoyed the day. And the power of love on Christmas broke through the trenches. It made them see the enemy in the trench differently. In fact, most of those soldiers had to be moved off of the lines because they refused to fight after that day. I wish that that was the end of the war. It went on for four more years, but in just a moment, I'm going to show you a clip from a, a movie that depicts this. And it is somewhat fictionalized, so don't say, well, that's not exactly how it happened. Just embrace it, enjoy it. <laughs> These are from stories that soldiers told of how that evening went. But in the scene you're going to see, there's one side, it's the Germans who are dug into a trench, and on the other side, there's the Scottish and the French. And as we see this, here's what I want us to do. I want you to picture who is on the opposite trench from you. Most of us aren't soldiers. We're not in an actual war. But who's dug in opposite you? Are they dug in for different political reasons? Are they dug in from a different culture? Is it someone dug in? Are you dug in in your marriage? Are you dug in with one of your kids? Are you dug in with a neighbor? And you're sitting in your trenches and you think nothing's going to break through. How could I love them? And let's watch this scene, and as we watch this scene, I want you to picture who's dug in opposite of you. Let's take a look. Oh. 
Well, let, join me as we pray for them, as we send them off. God, we thank you so much for the Mavis family. We thank you for James and Deb and, and Jack and Brody and, and the impact they've made on our lives here. And we pray as they go that they would be sent and they'd feel just blessed by you. And God, that they'd feel like they have a whole church family here in Encinitas who loves them and is sending them, not watching them just leave. But God, would you use them in their new church? to bless others and, and to bring more people, to bring others to help them know you are love and that there's life in Jesus. So we ask that you send them now. We thank you for them and we pray for Jack and Brody that they'd meet friends quickly and uh, that they would plug right in uh, to life there. So we thank you for their family. Ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for coming out this morning. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Friday night, Christmas Eve, 4.30.